Please uh, stand as we read this morning's sermon text. It's taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. I'm not Andre Danilo, but this is God's Word. Mark 12, beginning at verse 13. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Lord, thank you so much for your word. We pray your blessing not only to the reading, but to the preaching of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I do welcome you to First Baptist Church of Monterey. We're so glad you're here. And it is uh, good to be home. Charlotte and I have been out. I was out for two Sundays. We were gone for nearly three weeks. Uh, we have kids scattered all over the world, which is, well, not all over the world, but we have kids in the world. Uh, we have a daughter who's lived in Rome for the last four months. And then we have a son and daughter-in-law and two children that live in London. They've been there almost five years. Uh, so we took advantage of going out to Rome and then spent some good time in London and London area. And we, there's so many things we saw. We kept busy. Uh, typical day was, you know, walking nine, ten miles a day, uh, taking in the sights. We had a marvelous time. And still, you know, I'll be unpacking all the thoughts and and memories. For one thing, you know, it's just, uh, everybody says this, but it's so true. It's just the sense of old that you have there that you don't have here. Um, It's very nice. My son and daughter-in-law go to an Anglican church, which is, they walk to it. It's a few blocks from their house. But the odd thing about it from my perspective is it looks like a Baptist church landed inside of an Anglican building as the service is basically just like this. They sing the same songs uh, and uh, the pastor preaches from Mark. You know, it seems like the thing to do. Uh, we, we just heard his first sermon uh, on, on Mark and it's a group of people that love the Lord Jesus Christ and they're living for him. And their, their uh, mission, there's a, uh, you know, a part of the Anglican church their mission is to evangelize Anglicans. Uh, so many Anglicans are, are culturally Christian. Uh, you know, to be truly British is to be Anglican. It's a Christian nation. For example, honestly, you go to the British Museum, which you could spend five months there. How many people have been there? See, you know what I'm talking about. It's a pretty amazing museum. 
And you go to the bookstore, and there's all these books that talk about the Bible. It's like, you know, following the Bible through the British Museum. And then another one, the archaeology of the Bible in the British Museum. Big, beautiful books, timeline, this and that. You wouldn't find that in the U.S., you know, to... to you, to mention the Bible as if it were something serious in a museum in the United States of America, you'd be, you know, hanged or something. So, but anyway, all this to say, um, we had a great time and really, really had a, a wonderful time. But just one of the things this church does um, is for 20 years or so, they've been doing what they call a pilgrimage. And the church takes three days and they break it up. Uh, a long walk. This time the walk was a total of about 60 miles. Uh, we, we got in on the last 10 miles of it. Um, and they, they visit various historical churches along the way as they go. And the, the goal, which is kind of funny because we were going, and maybe Charlotte knew, but for me it was like, okay, we're going on a, a walk. I don't know how, where, why, what's the goal, nothing. <laughs> Just, we're walking, we're walking, okay, let's walk. So we walked through all these wheat fields and barley fields and, in, in Britain. But the goal of this last day, and it was the goal of the whole trip, was to St. Peter's Chapel at a place called Bradwell-on-Sea. Bradwell-on-Sea. And uh, it turns out this St. Peter's Chapel was built in the year 654 or thereabouts. That's A.D., 654. And it's still standing. It was actually a part of a Roman fortress on the sea there. That's the North Sea. Uh, it was built on the wall. It used to be called St. Peter's on the Wall. There's no wall anymore, but there is St. Peter's Chapel, uh, Bradwell at on Sea, Bat Bradwell on Sea, and uh, that was the goal of the, the trip. The final pilgrimage was to visit this historic site, and it has been returned for a long time. It was a barn for animals, and they stored grain in there. It's in the middle of grain fields. But in 1930, they restored it to a Christian chapel. And we met in there, and we sang, again, the same sort of praise songs we just sang, uh, led by guitar, and read some scripture, and had a devotional thought. Uh, and, and the pastor prayed for us there. Um, so it's a sense of history and solid foundations that last um, that, that we, we could be enriched by to think about what, what lasts, what's really important, what's, what is solid, what can you build your life on. And we've been singing about Jesus and the previous text that Eugene preached on last week says that Jesus is the cornerstone. Uh, and, and it's this, you know, gl glorious turnabout. Turn you know, turnabout turn is fair play. Uh, and God loves these sorts of things. The, Jesus comes to his own, his own people, uh, the Jews, and they reject him. And the Jews think they are the builders. They are the builders. We're the contractors. 
We're the inspectors. We'll decide what goes in God's building. And you, Jesus, are just rejected. You are you're, you, the wrong kind of rock. We don't want you. Uh, so you see that in chapter 12 of Mark. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Hallelujah. Uh, God loves the surprise, the turnabout. Uh, and look at verse 11. What's that? Yeah, the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. And so it's completely appropriate when we sing, All I have is Christ. All I need is Christ. All I want is Christ. Ultimately, that's the lasting value. You build your life on faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Um, And that will stand the test of time. That will make St. Peter's Chapel on the North Sea look like a a shabby piece of... uh, Balsa wood, you know, ultimately. That thing's going to go down one day. It stood a few years here, 1,400 or so, but it, it, it too will fall. It too will be consumed, but Jesus will not. And so the true, ultimate, steadfast value is Jesus. And look at verse 11 there in, in chapter 12. This was the Lord's doing He's the master. He is God. He's the sovereign God. He did this. And it is marvelous in our eyes. That's the basis of worship. To take a moment and appreciate who God is and what he has done. And as... um, As Jason mentioned in our text today, that's where our text ends up. Uh, Verse, it's in verse 17. My text is 13 through 17, as has been read. And they marveled at him. Uh, And this English translation is a little bit um, watered down. It's a, it's a little, it's not strong enough. It's sort of like an Americano coffee versus uh, an espresso. because the, the espresso, the Greek, is very strong. And in fact, it's the only time this word is used in the whole Bible. It, and it means they were like completely amazed. They were like, wow, who in the world is this? Jesus. We came, we sent our best guys. Notice it says, the Pharisees and some of the Herodians. They're... Uh, ungodly coupling. They don't, nor, they don't like each other, but they have a common enemy. Uh, so they're combined to try to get Jesus. Uh, and they're the best. They're the, the cream of the crop. And they've thought this whole thing through. They're going to trap Jesus. It's going to be awesome. Uh, and at the end, Jesus has tied them in knots. And it's just awesome. This is the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. So let's, let's work through the text. My title is Fundamental Obligation. Fundamental Obligation. So we're going to be talking about the word uh, obligation a bit today and the idea of what, what's the foundational level of human behavior. What, what makes us do what we do? What should make us do what we do. 
And so let's look at the story here. First of all, I'm using this image of a cat, hostility wrapped in flattery. Uh, these guys, I mentioned them as, it says Pharisees and some of the Herodians. Uh, let's look at the text. Go back up to the end of the previous text. It says in verse 12, And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people. By the way, you know, that's just so typical of bad leadership. That bad leadership, I, I want to be a leader based on popular opinion. <laughs> Let me take an opinion poll here and decide what my policy will be. I have no soul, I have no core, I have no foundation, but popular opinion. By the way, the people favor this. It's 52% in favor of, you know, deciding that uh, balloons are an appropriate foundation stone. Uh, you know, I don't care if 53% says that. <laughs> it's not true, right? The Bible comes from this point of view that there is truth. And he is Jesus himself. But they're seeking to arrest him, but feared the people. For they... <laughs> the language in this text is just gorgeous. For they perceived that he had told the parable against them. Oh, they're, they're, they're brilliant. You know, they, they got it. He, and look at that. Look at that. You tell a parable against somebody. Uh, Jesus had told this story to, to demonstrate how the Pharisees, being the spiritual leaders, were actually completely messing up and being a horrible leader uh, in, in their job. So, so they left him and went away. Let, let's just go ahead and refresh our memories real quick. Go to Mark 3. Mark 3. Um, and we're, we're, the whole chapter would be worth meditation, but um, uh, let's look at, let's see, 3 6. Is it notice, uh, obvious chapter 3 is early on? And verse 6 tells us that this unbiased group of open-minded people had already made a judgment about Jesus. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians. Those are the two groups we have in our text today. Against him, how to destroy him. So these are the spiritual leaders. They're so well open-minded. No. They've decided they have to destroy Jesus. They've been after him now for years. And, and we're coming to the conclusion of, of that as well. And notice I've, I'm saying uh, hostility wrapped in flattery. Because our, our text, again, if, if you like words, uh, this is gorgeous, what they say. It's just so... It's, it's actually well-framed. In, in, uh, you'll find this in various places in the Bible. We call it a chiasm or chiasm. It's based on the Greek letter chi, which is an X. And this is actually a chiasm, uh, what they say to him. They're flattery. See in verse 14, And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, 
but truly teach the way of God. So this is a well-thought, well-framed, rhetorically satisfying thing for them to say. They've planned this. They, they come out and say, in other words, a little bit like poetry. They say, teacher, we know that you are true. So that's part A, you're true. And do not care about anyone's opinion. That's B. Then comes B, for you are not swayed by appearances. And then comes A, but truly teach the way of God. It's not important if you're looking at that saying, what, huh? Don't worry about it. But it's kind of, it's a depth. It's an interesting point that they had framed their flattery to make it delicious. Sort of like a... I like water chestnuts wrapped in bacon. Baked, you know, with, and with a toothpick in them. And it's very heart healthy. Uh, well, maybe not. <laughs> Our friend had a variation of it. Uh, dates wrapped in bacon, also baked and, and served as a, a flattering finger food. And that's what we have here. They're coming with a tray of, you know, watercress nuts wrapped in bacon. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, oh, we know that you are true, and you're not swayed by opinion. You know, you're not going to go, okay, we'll go this way by popular opinion. In fact, you don't even care what anybody says, but you are a true teacher from God. You know, and here's the marvelous thing, right? They think this is going to fool Jesus. <laughs> that such silly, empty flattery. He's going to go, oh, golly, guys, it's so nice to be appreciated. Oh, yes, I've, I've felt that about myself, too, you know. Thank you. I'll take your finger food. Uh, he does. <laughs> how little, how, how small they had evaluated him to be, eh? But, you know, they're going to end up marveling at him because he is the son of God and he is not fooled, not taken in uh, by, by their flattery. Uh, no, no, he's not taken in. In fact, he is the stone that the builders rejected. He has become the cornerstone. He's the one that we can trust even though he's greeted with hostility and rejection. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And so what actually happens here is it's turnabout. The hunters become the hunted. They think they're going to fool Jesus. But they have a surprise. He is going to twist their uh, whole argument on its head. So let's look at it right here. So their question is, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them? Or should we not? You know, very clear, very kind of redundant. They want to make sure they, that he gets the point. They think they've got him trapped because Rome, uh, we happen to just come from Rome, by the way, and marching around the ruins that were built during this time period. Uh, Rome is, is an oppressor. And they're the outside force. And they have the audacity to collect taxes from the people that they're oppressing. And they're, they use the money for all sorts of rotten things. Uh, it seems to me, they, they, uh, will, they're all about building. Romans build. You know, they build uh, <laughs> everything. They, uh, lots of buildings are still there that you can go and see. 
And so it was irritating to the Jews to be oppressed by this exterior power. And so for Jesus to support the Roman government would be uh, you know, dangerous on, on your personal popularity. And if you're concerned about your personal popularity, uh, you would not support Rome. So they think they've got him trapped here. Because on the other hand, if he says no, you know, uh, if he says yes, he's supporting Rome. If he says no, he's in danger of uh, insurrection and rebellion against Rome. So he says, but, this is verse 15, but knowing their hypocrisy, you know, he, he sees right through it. You know, can just pause here a second. Get this, dear friends. You're not fooling God. You can never fool God. You, you may think that an outside appearance that you're putting on is making God happy when inwardly you're not trusting God at all. You know, just give, give up this game. Your, your arm's too short to box with God. You can't outsmart Him. You can't outrun Him. You can't hide from Him. There's one psalm that says, even if I go to the depths of the sea, you know, Two miles deep, you are there. God is there. And that's the point here, that they think they've got him, and they don't. So he says, why put me to the test? Hmm. Doesn't that kind of bring in that whole thing? You shall not test the Lord your God. Yes, it does. So he says, bring me a denarius. And uh, this is a Roman coin. And it's silver. And the, it's likely that the disciples didn't have a denarius. It's actually quite valuable uh, for a, a laborer would work all day and get paid, is it an denarius? No, an a denarius. W one denarius. It's a day's labor. Now, economies are hard to compare. But that, if it was in our economy, in the U.S., a laborer uh, gets paid, you know, at least 100 bucks a day, uh, probably 200. Um, and, and so it's very, very valuable, but it's also filthy lucre. It's, it's the Roman government. If you can't give it as an offering. If you take it to the temple, you have to exchange it for the sacred half shekel. So Jesus doesn't have one. We don't know if the Pharisees or the Herodians had one. They, they may have. Uh, it could have been sort of this like shuffle around for a few minutes uh, where he says, uh, bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought him one. And, and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? It's a neutral question. It's, it's like factual. The, obviously, that is Caesar. Many, many, many Caesars put their faces on different denarii. Uh, Nero did, but Nero wouldn't have done it at this point. Nero reigns after this time. Um, so who? It's it's Caesar. It is the uh, Kaiser. 
It is the king, the emperor. That's whose likeness it is. And whose inscription? Yes, it, it, says, uh, it says his name on there. They said to him, Caesar's. And so Jesus says, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. Now, the text has this beautiful transition. God, the Holy Spirit, has inspired this text. It is the Word of God. And when they asked Jesus, they used this word. In the English it says pay. Should we pay them? Should we pay the taxes? And it's really just a simple word for give. Should we give them the money? Should we give them the money? Jesus uh, changes that word. And in, in, in English we have uh, render. And, and that's a nice translation because it's, it's an intensified verb, not just give, but it actually, here's the English definition, and it's true to the Greek definition as well. Render is to give in acknowledgement of dependence or obligation. Render means, in this context, to give in acknowledgement. I'm giving you this, dear Rome, because I am dependent on you. Uh, you know, Rome has made the roads. Rome is sort of protecting us from enemies. Uh, Rome uh, costs a lot to keep going. But also there's a sense of obligation. Did, did you notice what Jesus actually says? Look at the words of Jesus. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. What Jesus is saying is, you receive a salary, and a certain percentage of that salary, it isn't even yours. It is Caesar's. It belongs to the United States government. You know, so when we see bumper stickers saying things like, do not steal. The IRS doesn't like competition. Or we see things like, taxation is robbery. You know what? You should think in your heart, well, Jesus does not support that. That is not true. Jesus says that taxes are actually an obligation. And when I actually pay my taxes, I'm giving to the government what is theirs. And I've got to quit thinking the government is robbing me. They've got their hand in my pocket and they're stealing from me. A whole lot of Christians get all messed up with this, by the way. In fact, one, uh, one pretty, pretty popular teacher uh, in the United States got into this sort of teaching that all, all government was basically immoral and, and Christians should not pay their taxes and Christians don't need marriage licenses. And Christians don't need, probably don't need driver's licenses. It's like, you stay out of my life, big government. Um, well, he got arrested and went, <laughs> and went to a federal penitentiary prison for tax evasion. And you know what? I think that's the right thing that happened to him. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry about that. <laughs> and Christians should look at their paycheck and say, I, I, and this may be like, you know, fingernails on, on, on a chalkboard, but let's just take the word of Jesus seriously. Render as a, as a payment 
what is Caesar's to Caesar. It is his. It is the United States government's money. And, and you know, I know it's a little weird, but they decide how much <laughs> you're supposed to pay. And you could, and we have the freedom to argue about it and vote against it and change laws, etc. But when the law is there, we are, as Christians, obligated to submit to the authorities. Let's spend a second on this. Um, one thing I think it's important is let's look at Romans 13. Very quickly, turn in your Bible to Romans 13. By the way, this is my Mother's Day uh, sermon. Happy Mother's Day. You make the connection. I can't make it. <laughs> I'm, so, no, I'm kidding. Only half kidding. But happy Mother's Day anyway. <laughs> um, Romans 13. Let me just read the, the paragraph here. It's so amazing. And again, let me just pause and, and, and say at this point, uh, when he's writing this to the Romans, Christians in Rome, the eternal city, the emperor is a guy named Nero. Um, a lot of his contemporaries felt like uh, he was insane. Uh, he was a very difficult leader, uh, very egocentric, and did all sorts of weird things. Uh, he was a huge builder. Uh, he, uh, they think, in fact, you know, he's sort of tied in with the great Roman fire, you know, while Rome burned, Nero fiddled. Probably isn't true, but they did find his fiddle. No. <laughs> but they, there is actually a theory that he might have supported the fire to burn out a section of Rome to build his palace. He built this massive, huge palace, one of, one of the biggest that they've ever had. And then they, he built himself a colossus of, I think it was 30 meters tall, brass, an image of himself. And... Um, that's what a part of the taxes are going to pay for. And, and it's, a, it's a terrible government from our point of view. Uh, difficult. So what is the advice of Jesus? And here Paul, does it say, please lead a revolt against the government. Please do all you can do to bring down the Roman government. No, it doesn't say that. That's actually another issue outside of we're interested in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, telling you about the foundation stone where you can build your life forever. And we're going to not be distracted as, as a church, as Christians, by uh, fighting political battles. Uh, every person be subject to the governing authorities. What? To, to Nero? Uh, that's, that's what Paul says, yeah. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Uh, let's, let's pause for just a moment and, and look, at a, look at Daniel real quick. Let's see, he's a minor prophet, so he's toward the end of the Old Testament. Ezekiel, is he a minor prophet? He's right after Ezekiel. Uh, look at Daniel chapter 4, please. Just we're just going to pick out one verse in chapter four. It's verse seventeen. 
it, it says this. It says this, the sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the, the end, to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men. See, God's not sitting around and saying, man, I sure hope my candidate wins this race. <laughs> you know, I hope I've chosen... Um, the right course here. I hope I'm on the side of history. <laughs> you know, hilarious views of who God is. No, 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 that is not God. He rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will, even Nero, even current presidents and past presidents, even all of the rulers in the world. Hard to understand. But it says this, look, and sets over it the lowliest of men. The lowly. He does this. We get the, the rulers we deserve. And then he tells us to pay taxes. Uh, anyway, ponder that on Mother's Day. <laughs> Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Like that Bible teacher I mentioned, he incurred the judgment of the government. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. Wait a minute, Nero? Nero? That's who he's talking about. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed." Uh, Romans 13, much to think about, fits super well with our, our text today. So I, I want to work through this whole idea of obligation really quickly. Because obligation kind of gets a dirty name. Like the idea that I've, if I do something out of obligation, it's somehow morally inferior. I want to do it out of my free will, out of, out of my love. I don't want to do this because I'm obligated to do it. You know what I mean? I, I think it's a part of uh, our modern philosophy. To the point, though, that I don't have to do any obligations unless I doggone well feel like it. I'm not obligated to do it unless I feel like doing it. Right? That's the American philosophy of, I'm free. <laughs> so out of my free will, I can choose to do whatever I want to do. 
I suffer from this too, I suppose. Like, for example, when we got on the airplane, okay, they made an announcement that said, I'm sorry, there's somebody on board who has a really bad allergy to peanuts, so we cannot consume any peanuts for the next 11 hours. I brought a whole bag of peanuts. It was going to be my sole source of, of nutrition. And, 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 and I looked at Charlotte and said, what? And uh, then, I'm being honest here, 45 minutes later, I snuck over and got my peanuts out, brought them over to my seat, and Charlotte said, what's that? <laughs> and she lovingly took them from me. And I did not open the bag, and I did not consume one peanut. But I had the feeling like, what the heck? You can't tell me what to do. <laughs> I go, none of you have ever been there, right? It, but what, this is what I'm driving at, though. I believe that Jesus is getting to the depth of why we should do this. We need to define the fact that this is Caesar's money. I, I don't pay taxes out of free will. Like, oh, I'm freely choosing to pay my taxes. No, you do it because you have to do it. It's an obligation for heaven's sakes. And it is for heaven's sakes. So it's a, a, a moral obligation Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And so let's close this sermon by the last part of the phrase, the most important part. And to God, the things that are God's. What is God's about me? What, is, what does God own in you? That's the question. That's what we should marvel about. Uh, God says this, in fact, let us make man in our image after our likeness. If he said, bring me a human and hold it up to the mirror, (laughs) whose image is this? It's the image of God. Render unto God the things that are God's. Dear friends, if if we rebel about peanuts... (laughs) which we tend to do, how much more are we as fallen people rebelling against God in this basic foundational level? He made us. And then we believe as Christians, he redeemed us. He bought us. And the Bible says this, you are not your own. You don't own yourself. Quit thinking that, well, if I have a free moment, I might tip God. I might give him 4% tip because he's been nice to me. No, Jesus says, you render out of obligation. You make this payment to God of yourself. So this is where I close. One one button. Uh, There we go. Are you rendering to God the things that are God? I, I, I just I close with these thoughts, dearest friends. Here is the word of God. It says this, or, or this is 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. 
And this is specifically to people who say, hey, I'm a Christian. I, I, I believe in Jesus. I, I believe he died for my sins. It says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Give, render to God the things that are God's. We give ourselves to God. For you were bought with a price. Think about a delicious double-double at In-N-Out Burger right now. Think about it deeply. I haven't had one since February because I had a minor heart attack, and my cardiologist said, off the diet, <laughs> got to lower your cholesterol. Um, but they're, they're, uh, they're a work of art, dearest friends. They're one of the best burgers in the world. I've traveled the world. Take my, <laughs> take my word for it. But when you go and order one, and the lady says, you know, whatever, it's, it's $5.34, you think, Okay, out of the freedom of my will, I, I, I decide to pay you. I decide to give you this money. Freely I choose to do this. And they're supposed to be all, oh, giddy, oh, oh, I'm so thankful you gave me that money, you know? No, no, that's not rendering. Uh, you owe them the money, and you, you pay them out of, I owe you this. You are going to give me a hamburger, and I owe you this money. It's just an illustration to say we have to start understanding that we don't give ourselves to God out of some sense of, well, let's go ahead and tip him. He's been a good waiter. No, you have no choice here. You give yourself to God. Are you living for God? Would, would anybody know that you're living for God? You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And here's another one, two more to think about. We're getting close. And whatever you do in word or do, deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's Colossians 3.17. We're supposed to be people who live our lives for God. Whatever we do in word or deed, it's, it's a challenge to grow, but we, we, we need to start making motions toward this. Let's say your track record hasn't been perfect. Your track record hasn't been perfect. That's all of us. Our track record is bad. It's bad. But you know the best example you can leave to other people is to start to grow, start to change, start to repent, start to live for God now. And, and serve him. Does anyone know you're serving Jesus? And then the final one comes again from 1 Corinthians 10.31. It's a re repetition. So what, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. See, if, if you're working for the U.S. government in a position, you're doing that for the Lord Christ. If you're working at uh, Starbucks. You know, you're working for Jesus at Starbucks. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Uh, our lives need to rotate around this fundamental obligation that we are 
made by God and redeemed by God, and thus we want to live for God. Let's pray. Father, please challenge us. Lord, at the end of the day, we want to marvel at you. You are the Lion of Judah. You're not to be played with. We think we can trap you. We think we can fool you. But you always turn it around. You're always wiser. So we want to come and worship you. Uh, We want to serve you, Lord. Could we leave a track record where those who come behind us say, yeah, that person really did love the Lord. That person really lived for the Lord. Lord, help us to be thinking about our lives and whatever we do, whatever occupation you've called us to, may it be a vocation, a calling from you to do it to your glory, I pray. Lord, thank you for mothers. They, te- they teach us so well uh, to, to live by truth and by obligations that are holy and good. Lord, bless them, we pray today. Amen.